This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina, the 23rd day of March 2022. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. We're back. I, the, the Internet stinks this morning. I hope we're able to stay on. Uh, it is pouring rain down here in western North Carolina, up here in the mountains. And uh, uh, beings that I have uh, satellite Internet, you know how weather can affect. Uh, if you have satellite TV, you know what weather can do. So... Uh, hopefully we're able to stay on, you know, I'm telling you what, this is just, it's crazy 2022 and uh, I'm still struggling to get internet. Um, I, I really hope, uh, that, that this, this whole thing that they passed to, uh, to get infrastructure, uh, squared away here in the United States gets better. Cause this is just absolutely crazy. And yesterday I got an email from, uh, uh, Elon Musk who uh, runs Starlink, which is what I'm hoping to get. It's more satellite internet, but it's, uh, about 10 times faster than the HughesNet that I have right now. Uh, they're not even ready. I mean, they've got satellites up, but they don't have coverage down here yet. They're supposed to have it by the end of this year. I already get a notice that, guess what? The price is going up. Hey, no kidding. I guess gas for the satellites must be expensive too, but I found out that the price for the equipment's going up another 50 bucks, and then the monthly service is going to go up about another 10 bucks a month. So, you know, great. Everybody everybody wants a piece of the pie. But anyway, so hope, hopefully we'll stay on. Welcome to those of you uh, listening around the country or around the world. We have folks listening uh, right now out in uh, London. Uh, uh, great. There's a, I had somebody listening from Moscow, and all I want to say is please somebody – uh, punch Putin in the mouth. If you're listening from Moscow, feel free to go over there and do that. Uh, and uh, those of you watching on Facebook, welcome as well. Um, it's been uh, a strange spring, I guess. You know, you see everybody rushing. The, the talk is about whether or not we are going to be able to have pitchers be ready for the start of the season. And a lot of people are concerned that we're going to have a rash of injuries. Remember during the pandemic season when uh, we didn't start the season, then they tried to ramp things up in three weeks, and we had all kinds of people getting hurt because they weren't ready. There's a lot of fear about that this year as well. So Major League Baseball has announced that they are going to allow teams to carry 28 players uh, for essentially the first three weeks of the season. And there will be no limit on the number of pitchers uh, that you can carry. So it, it will be a chance for a couple of extra arms figuring that starters aren't going to be able to go deep. Uh, you know, they're figuring if you get five innings out of a starter in the first month of the season, you're going to be lucky because they won't have ramped up yet. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, we already see uh, guys throwing 50 pitches in their first outings, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, so they're going to allow clubs to carry those uh, extra couple of players uh, no limit on the number of pitchers. Now, after those first three weeks, they go back down to 26, and teams will be 
able to carry a maximum of 13 pitchers. And by the way, for that, I say hallelujah. Uh, I actually would like to see it be 12, but uh, I'll take 13 because we saw clubs last year carrying 14 and 15 pitchers. Uh, it's just nuts. You know, and, and, you know, hopefully there's going to be more emphasis going down the road on starting pitching. I, I don't know if we can ever put the genie back in that bottle, but it would be nice. It would be nice. Uh, you know, I saw a comment, it was, I think it was Pete Abraham a few days ago said something. He's right. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, Grandpa talking about, you know, the, the old days, but when I was a kid, it used to be you looked forward to great pitching matchups, right? You look forward to guys going out and battling each other for seven, eight innings. You know, I look at all the, the stuff that's gone down now with the, the bullpen signings and, and the way the bullpens are constructed, and you actually have fans going, oh, my God, if our starting pitcher can just go four innings, you look at our bullpen, we're going to be awesome. That's not the way baseball was designed to be. You know, and I know things change, and I'm, you know, I, I'll admit I don't like change. I'm a, very, I'm a traditional kind of guy, in it, and I'm not talking just about baseball. I am just one of those people that would like to keep the status quo as much as possible with everything, but I know that, you know, change happens. But the way the game of baseball has changed over the last several years or the last couple of decades, actually, is, is progressively happened. It's just, ah. So I'm glad that they're going to limit the pitchers. That's a good thing. Uh, all right, uh, as far as the Red Sox go, uh, is there a way that we can take these these six wins that the Red Sox have gotten in spring training and, like, save them for, for when the regular season starts? Boston won again in spring training. I know it means absolutely nothing. I get it. I talk about that all the time with, you know, with folks. But it's not just the fact that they're 6-0. and It's the fact that they're getting pretty good pitching performances out of everybody. You know, Rich Hill pitches two scoreless innings yesterday. Garrett Whitlock pitches two scoreless innings yesterday. Now, I'll say this. Whitlock's two innings were not exactly the cleanest in the world. He walked two guys and gave up three hits, but he did get out of trouble. Matt Barnes came out, pitched an inning, uh, a scoreless inning. How great is that? I mean, that is something that the Red Sox are going to have to have if they're going to be successful this year. Matt Barnes has got to refine uh, what he had the first half of last year and not be the walking nightmare uh, that he was the second half of the season. So you look at that, I mean, you get five scoreless innings out of those three guys to start the game against the Tampa Bay Rays. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, and the other thing that, that I have liked to see is uh, you've got guys that are uh, performing a little bit down there. It's been great to see Jaron Duran getting on base. Now, whether Jaron Duran is going to be a long-term uh, member of the Sox or not, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, Duran went over two at the plate yesterday, but he did walk. It, I think that's the third time he's walked in the three or four games he's been in this spring. He's got a couple of hits. Matter of fact, he's hitting 400. You know, I mean, it's, so that's been positive. Bobby Dahlbeck has continued to hit the ball well, a two-run double yesterday. Christian Arroyo is hitting the ball well. Uh, so it's been, you know, everybody kind of is uh, uh, looking – uh, they're not in midseason form. Let's not get carried away. But it was nice to see that we, you know we've got guys that we need to get off to good starts, getting off to good starts. You know, I don't worry about the guys like Rafi Devers and 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 uh, you know Xander Bogarts. They're going to be fine. You know, uh, I don't worry too much about uh, uh, 
you know, Kike Hernandez and, and guys like that, you know, and uh, they're going to be fine. But the young kids are the ones that I worry the most about. Uh, now, the Red Sox reached agreements with all of their arbitration-eligible players yesterday. Uh, Rafi Devers is the winner in that uh, sweepstakes. He gets a one-year deal for $11.2 million. Uh, look, 38 homers, 113 runs batted in last year. $11.2 million is, you know, again, every, we know it's it's a lot of money and it's, you know, stupid money, whatever. What, But considering what the year the kid had last year, well-deserved. Now you just have to wonder is, are they going to find a way to get some kind of a contract extension done? And interesting, this morning they had the press conference for Trevor Story. And what was great was Trevor Story said that, you know, he had Kike Hernandez and Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts all calling him and saying, hey, come here. You know, we want you to come here. And he said the fact that Bogarts reached out to him and, you know, considering that they play the same position, he didn't have to do that. It showed that, you know, what a classy guy he is, that he wants to win. And uh, so, that you know, that was a positive sign. But the question becomes, if we're talking about Rafi Devers and the $11 million, he's 25 years old. He's under club control through 2023. Then he becomes a free agent. At what point do you make a decision with Rafi Devers and or Xander Bogarts that we are going to keep these guys here long term? You know, Bogarts has an opt-out at the end of this year. He's only making $20 bucks. Poor guy. But he's only making $20 bucks. But when you look at what other shortstops are making, Trevor Story just signed for uh, an average annual value of $23 million a year. And he's a better, way better defender than Xander Bogarts. Uh, but you see what Correa got. You know, you see uh, what Francisco Lindor got. And you take a look, and, you know, there's no question Xander Bogarts, if he goes out in the open market, is going to get more than $20 million a year. The question that you have to, to, to decide if you are Red Sox ownership is, does he belong as our shortstop long term? If Is he willing to move to another position? And if he is, he's not going to get the same kind of money that he makes at a shortstop. Shortstops make more money than second baseman. Uh, so, uh, you know, at some point that decision is going to have to be made. And, you know, I mean, obviously as a Red Sox fan, you love Bogarts, you love Devers. You, you say, you know, Hey, look, I want to, I want to keep them all. The problem is you can't keep them all financially. You can't keep them all. You look at the Red Sox payroll right now with the signing of Trevor story. They are already over the luxury tax threshold for this year. They're at about $236 million. So they're $6 million over that number. Uh, which, you know, look, um, one of the things that I guess you, you love to see if you're a Sox fan is that the narrative that Heim Bloom is going to run this like Tampa Bay and is going to stay under this number is been proven false. Ownership said, here, you got money, and he's gone out and spent it. Now, you know, is Trevor Story the answer? Michael Waka and uh, guys like that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think Trevor Story is going to make a big difference in that defense. There's no question about that. Um, so, but if you're, if you're the Red Sox and you just signed Devers to an $11.2 million contract, is it worthwhile now to say to him, okay, look, we did this. 
Now let's lock you up for a little while. Let's lock you up for five years. Are they going to do that? Are they going to entertain an extension with Bogarts, or was the thinking all along, we're going to let Bogey walk because his defense is a liability. Look, he's a great citizen. He's a great hitter. We love Xander Bogarts. We drafted him. He came up through the system. Great guy. But at the end of the day, he's becoming a liability at shortstop. We signed Trevor Story. We know what a great defender he is. It makes us a better team. We can replace a second baseman a hell of a lot easier than we can replace a shortstop. So we give Bogarts a choice. You either play second or, you know, we let you walk. That's going to be a tough one for Red Sox fans because they love Xander Bogarts. So uh, we'll see. But anyway, so Bogey, uh, so uh, Devers gets 11 mil. Uh, they also reached uh, agreements with uh, Alex Verdugo. He got three and a half. Uh, Nick Pavetta got 2.6. Christian Arroyo got 1.2. And Josh Taylor got just a shade over a million. Josh Taylor, by the way, is going to probably start the season on the uh, the injured list. Now, he did throw a little bit, but he's got some back issues, so he's not even playing right now. Pavetta is going to be an anchor of that rotation. I'll tell you what, uh, you got Nick Pavetta, who has looked pretty good, and uh, right now is probably your number your number three starter, maybe even your number two starter until Chris Sale comes back. And you got him for $2.65 million. If he turns out to pitch uh, like he did last year or a little bit better, if he pitches closer to what he pitched towards the end of the season, geez, what a bargain that is. Um, so anyway, so they don't have to worry uh, as far as uh, uh, arbitration numbers go. You don't have to worry about things getting ugly. That's not going to be the case uh, in other places around uh, Major League Baseball. We'll get to all that in a minute. Uh, the Red Sox also announced that they are going to wear a patch on their uniform uh, this season to uh, honor Jerry Remy. I think that is outstanding. Um, you know, we've seen it in uh, the spring training games they've had on television, that, uh, uh, much like they did when Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe passed away, that they uh, put flowers in the press box and a, a hat with uh, the number two on it. And uh, 33 years in the broadcast booth, a member of the Red Sox for uh, six years, uh, a Boston area native, uh, a guy that everybody that's a Red Sox fan absolutely adore. As a matter of fact, even if you're not a Red Sox fan, you love Jerry Remy. Uh, so uh, uh, great news that they're going to do that. It's the first time they've worn a patch in a, a long time. Um, so uh, that's nice uh, that they are going to do that. And uh, so that's where we're at as far as uh, – um, the contract situations and, and going into the regular season. Pete Abraham had a uh, a story in uh, the Globe, I think it was yesterday. Well, actually, it was this morning. Uh, it was posted last night, and it was taking a look at the potential starting lineup for the Boston Red Sox. Not a lot of surprises here. Um, you know, like right now, uh, the fact that they've uh, Tanner Houck has been announced that he's going to be a member of that rotation. And you would assume Michael Walker and Rich Hill will be as well. That leaves Garrett Whitlock in the bullpen, which I think is where he really belongs. Uh, he was so valuable out of there last year. And we and, and with the uh, devaluation of starting pitching, having a guy like Whitlock that can get you a couple of innings out of the bullpen and more often than not get you out of trouble uh, is huge. So no no real huge surprises as far as the rotation goes. Obviously, when Chris Sale comes back, if Chris Sale comes back, uh, <laughs> you know, we might be looking at early June if we're lucky. And then when James Paxton is healthy after the All-Star break, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, 
you know, and, and you think about this. When you when the Red Sox get close to the All-Star break, and it's still going to be a few weeks before the trade deadline, but if they get Chris Sale back sometime in June and then James Paxton can come back and he is anything near where he was pre-injury, the Red Sox are going to get a massive upgrade in that pitching staff going into the latter half of the season. So that, you know, don't sleep on that. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, that Paxton deal, knowing that he was injured and was still going to be rehabbing, uh, and the fact that they were able to get him for a decent number, uh, I think that's uh, uh, that could be a uh, under-the-radar move that pays off very, very well for this Red Sox team. Obviously, a catcher, no issue there. Uh, the DH is going to be J.D. Martinez. Uh, you know, <laughs> he, it, as Pete said, uh, uh, Alex still likes to talk about him about as an outfielder, but uh, he's really not. I think he does that more to stroke J.D.'s ego than anything. J.D. likes to play the outfield, but uh, you don't need to know any more than this. In the last two years, when he has played as a designated hitter in a game, he has an OPS of 874. When he plays the outfield, his OPS is 588. So obviously, playing the field hurts him at the plate as well. So there's just no reason, you know, maybe you play him there once every couple of weeks to throw him a bone or just to give guys a day off, but you you don't even need to do that anymore. The Red Sox have enough flexibility in that lineup, I think, where they could get away with not doing that. Uh, but J.D. is going to be there. Now, the interesting thing to me that Pete uh, came up with was when he was looking at the outfield. Uh, we all know that it's Jackie Bradley, Kike Hernandez, and Alex Verdugo, the main guys out in that outfield. The fourth outfielder, according to Pete Abraham, he thinks it's going to be Rob Refsnyder, not Jaron Duran. Jaron Duran is, uh, you know, so then you begin to wonder, does that mean Duran does not have a future? Did, did that did that cup of coffee, and I, I guess you can't call it a cup of coffee, he had 100 at-bats, but did that, time in Boston where they perhaps rushed him to the major leagues last year because everybody thought that they should and the fact that he struggled is that going to mean that that he's no longer part of this franchise uh, to me that sounds like you're giving up on the kid a little bit too quick you know look Ref Snyder's a guy that's uh in his early 30s you know he can play all three outfield positions he did it for the Minnesota Twins last year um uh, it means Franchi Cordero isn't going to be an option here. Cordero's a guy that's hit the ball a little bit in spring training as well this year. Uh, it sounds like he's headed back to AAA. Uh, but to me, I really wanted to see Jaron Duran as the fourth outfielder simply because defensively and with his speed and with the amount of d- distance they have to cover. And I know he is not an elite center fielder, but you know what? Speed makes up for an awful lot. Um I just and and the fact that the way he can uh, be a pinch runner off the bench uh, when he's not playing, uh, I really kind of hope that he would be an option. Uh, Pete doesn't even mention him as far as the outfielders goes. He thinks Ref Snyder is the is the answer here. Um, you know, we'll see whether whether he's right or not. But uh, and then as far as the infield goes, we all know who the starters are going to be. And then he thinks it's going to be uh, uh, probably Travis Shaw, Christian Arroyo is the utility guys, which absolutely makes sense as well. So uh, no real big surprises, you know, in, in Pete's thinking. Again, I just think that uh, Jaron Duran needs to be a guy that's on that roster. I just think um, that the versatility, the ability to go out and cover a lot of ground and the fact that he can run the base as well, he's a steel threat off the bench, 
you know, I think is going to be huge. And, and look, maybe, you know, he ends up, winds up there anyway. A lot's going to depend. A lot of this is going to depend on what Jackie Bradley Jr. does. If Jackie Bradley Jr. hits 160 like he did in Milwaukee last year, well, we're not going to have to worry about it because Jackie's going to be on the bench uh, or somewhere else. Uh, you know, I, I hope not. I hope Jackie is uh, uh, can hit the ball and stay there because he is, in my mind, uh, one of the one or two best center fielders defensively in Major League Baseball. So the Red Sox, if he's hitting the ball, are a much better team if JBJ can can hit. And let's just, let's hope that's the case. Uh, I mentioned arbitration numbers. Uh, Aaron Judge could not come to an agreement with the Yankees. Aaron Judge has asked for. $21 million. And the Yankees have offered 17. He made uh, 10 million last year. So he's basically asking to double his salary. The Yankees have gone up $7 million. Look, <laughs> even if he loses the arbitration case, uh, he's not on the breadline. Uh, but last year was really, uh, look, he stayed healthy last year. He put up big numbers last year. And there's talk that they want to sign an extension with him and they want to keep him in a Yankee uniform for a long time. Now, we still have some time before the arbitration hearings are going to happen. So it doesn't mean that the Yankees still won't do something. I think if they're smart, you know, they say, okay, there's your number. Here's our number. All right, now let's talk about an extension. Uh, You know, let's talk about a five, six-year deal. Uh, What is he going to make, you know? He's still young. He's still fragile. Do I think that this is a $30 million a year guy? No. No, I don't. And I think if the Yankees, I think the Yankees are looking at it the same way. But if they went to him now and said, okay, look, uh, you're looking for 21 mil this year. How about this? How about we'll give you $23 million a year for the next five years? If you're Aaron Judge, do you take that? Knowing your injury history, do you take that? If you're the Yankees, I think you have to try to do that. I absolutely do. Um, so we'll see. That's uh, that's going to be an inter- interesting conversation. The Dodgers reached an agreement with Trey Turner. Uh, they're going to give him the $21 million that uh, that uh, Aaron Judge is looking for. Um, he came from Washington last year. Look, uh, he had a hell of a year. He's he's one of the best shortstops around. Uh, 328, uh, 28 homers. 32 stolen bases. Uh, he's going to be a free agent after this season. Uh, you know, that's the other thing uh, that's going to be interesting. There has been some talk in Boston about, hey, maybe Trey Turner needs to be a Red Sox target for next year. You let Bogarts walk and uh, you go after Trey Turner. Of course, you know, that's the thing in Boston and New York and uh, and, and Los Angeles and a few other cities. It's uh, anybody that's going to be a free agent belongs on our team and we should go get him. <laughs> But uh, so so Trey Turner's get to get to twenty one million. Uh, Juan Soto, who finished second to Bryce Harper in the NL MVP uh, race last year, is getting seventeen point one on a one year deal. That's an eight point six million dollar raise. The kid's twenty three years old. Had a nine ninety nine OPS last year, three thirteen uh, with twenty nine homers. Um, uh, Vlad Jr. is going to get seven point nine. Uh, in his first year of uh, arbitration eligibility. Um, and uh, uh, Pete Alonso is going to get $7.4 million uh, from the New York Mets in arbitration. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about arbitration. But we're going to talk a little bit more about salaries. 
one of the things I found very interesting, we have watched what the Oakland A's have done is they have once again dismantled their team and sold off everybody but the popcorn vendor. Um, and it's interesting that they're, you know, a guy we talked about Josh Donaldson signing well. They traded away uh, uh, Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. And uh, it's interesting what's happening with those guys and what should be happening in Oakland. You know, Oakland's always crying poor. We're a small market team, yada, yada, yada. Well, when we come back, I'm going to tell you why they're not really – I mean, are they are they a smaller market team than New York? Yeah, but I'm going to tell you why they're not as poor as they are making themselves out to be. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. So you, you take a look at, at what the Oakland Athletics – have been doing and you take a look at yesterday uh when matt chapman signs a, a two-year deal for 25 million bucks a week after getting traded from the oakland athletics so he's going to get uh, you know what 12 and a half million dollars a year after olsen uh excuse me after uh yeah olsen gets traded to the atlanta braves to play first base they immediately lock him up to a seven- or eight-year deal. I can't remember what it was. Um, Chris Bassett now with the New York Mets. Uh, they are going to try to sign a contract extension with him as well. And, and you, you know, Josh Donaldson, we saw what's happened to him after he left Oakland. Um, and Oakland is is crying poverty. You know, there was, uh, <laughs> there was uh, some talk. Uh, Oakland Athletics President David Caval yesterday said, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Coliseum, you know, it's it's got great nostalgia, uh, there's history, but you can't generate the revenue you can uh, at Petco, Camden Yards, Oracle Park, et cetera, et cetera. He said, so that means that we're in a hundreds of millions of dollars disadvantage. We have to operate in a more constrained environment. Right now, folks, the Oakland Athletics payroll that's projected for this year, you know, assuming they're not going to add anybody at this point, okay, their payroll for this coming year, $40 million. I repeat, their payroll for the entire year, uh, excuse me, is going to be, uh, yeah, $40 million. Think about that for a minute. Their payroll in 2016, six years ago, was $30 million. So in six years, their payroll has gone up a grand total of $10 million. Now, why is David Caval's comments a load of uh, bullcrap? Let me explain it to you. Every team in Major League Baseball, every team, whether you're the Oakland Athletics or the Boston Red Sox or whatever, gets $65 million a year just from the national TV deals. $65 million a year just from TV deals. The local broadcast rights to Oakland A's games gets them somewhere in the vicinity of about $45 million a year. So just in TV deals, national and local, the Oakland Athletics have $110 million before they have even sold a ticket. 
$110 million, and they haven't even sold a ticket or a box of popcorn. Think about that. And yet their payroll is $40 million. How do you justify that? Oh, and by the way, because of the whole revenue sharing thing, which is you know the, the luxury tax money that gets spread around, the last time they were uh, they got that revenue uh, deal, revenue sharing, they got about thirty million dollars. So now we're up to about a hundred and forty million bucks without a ticket. Oh, and folks, they raised ticket prices in the off season. So you please explain to me how. How is the president of the Oakland Athletics, how can he look in the mirror and say that we don't have any money? Oh, and by the way, I was wrong. That, 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 uh, that $30 million uh, price tag for their, their – it wasn't in 2016. That's what they got for revenue sharing. That, that $30 million uh, payroll, that was in 2003. So we're looking at 19 years. Their payroll's gone up a grand total of $10 million. How the hell can you be an Oakland Athletics fan? Uh, a buddy of mine, Chris Raza, who works for Major League Baseball Network now, and uh, uh, I've done some games with him. Matter of fact, you've heard Chris on our station before uh, doing baseball reports. Uh, you know, he's an Oakland Athletics fan. And, I, and I, when, all the, when they were selling off everybody that, that wasn't moving – I said to him, I said, you got to be, like, despondent. And he said, you know, he said it's been tough. He said, but, you know, it's unfortunately, you get used to it. Now, are the A's at a financial disadvantage? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, you know, they don't have the money, the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers. have. I get that. But it doesn't mean they can't field a competitive team. It doesn't mean they don't have the money to field a competitive team. The same thing goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Detroit Tigers, the Miami Marlins. I don't care who you were talking. They all have the same thing. They're all getting, you know, between 60 and 70 million bucks a year just for national TV rights. That's before the local rights. That's before revenue sharing. Look, you can't. This is just about, and, and you know, when we went through the whole collective bargaining agreement thing and everybody was talking about greedy players, this isn't about greedy players. When you look at the Oakland Athletics ownership bringing in $140 million before they've sold a ticket, don't tell me that you're not trying to uh, rob the bank. We're, gonna, we're going to, to get all this money, and yet we're not going to reinvest it into our club. It's a load of baloney. You know, and the stuff like this is why you have you know, senators like Bernie Sanders grandstanding about taking away the antitrust exemption for Major League Baseball. Is it going to solve all the problems with labor negotiations? No. But it could take away some of the way that they can do things with impunity, the way that they were able to just you know, eliminate all these minor league teams, the way they can stop teams from relocating if they want to relocate, the way that they can stop uh, people from uh, owning a club as if it's some exclusive uh, uh, country club that you have to be a member to get into, or, you, know, you have to know a member to get into. Uh, a lot of that could go away. You know, and they could cut down, you know, there could be some competition if they wanted to have competition. 
you know, I mean, it hasn't, you know, the NFL doesn't have a, uh, an antitrust exemption and the, the competition has never been a problem. The USFL and the XFL that, you know, they've never really gained traction. I know they're trying it again now, but, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, when you look at things that the Oakland athletics ownership is doing, it's hard to defend any owner that says we don't have the money or an owner that wants to tell you that owning a major league baseball team is a losing proposition. That is one of the funniest things I heard out of Rob Manfred's mouth. They are making money. The values of these teams are increasing exponentially. This is a classic example of somebody peeing on your boots and telling you it's a rainstorm. That's what it is. And if you're Matt Olson and Matt Chapman and Chris Bassett or Josh Donaldson or anybody else who has played for the Oakland Athletics over the years, gotten traded, and then gotten paid when you went elsewhere, I don't know whether you should just be glad you got the hell out of that 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 mess or whether you should be angry that for so long this team was crying poverty. And you just look at the numbers and you know it's not true. And the problem is, is that, and this is just, folks, this is just television revenue and, and revenue sharing. These teams are private companies with the exception of, I think, the Atlanta Braves. They don't have to open their books. So you don't know really how much money they have. But when they've got $140 million before selling a ticket or selling ad revenue, you know, for the, the ads that are in the Coliseum, you know, whatever they get for a, a cut of the concessions and the parking, look, they are not losing money. They are not. And I don't care what anybody wants to tell you. In Pittsburgh, in Oakland, in Miami, or any other, you know, butthole team, that has stunk, you know, the Baltimore Orioles, we sure as hell know, are not losing money. They're just mismanaged. The fact that a, a, um, a team with a ballpark as beautiful as Camden Yards and with a history like the Baltimore Orioles have, the fact that they have bis been mismanaged to the point that that team is a dumpster fire is criminal. You know, and, and I got to give uh, Craig Calcaterra, uh, I, I get his newsletter every morning. I pay for it. It's called the uh, a Cup of Coffee. It's really great. Uh, he don't, and I don't agree on everything. He's a little bit too liberal for me. But <laughs> but, uh, but when it comes to the business of baseball, and he's really, he's, he's, a, he's an attorney, uh, not a practicing attorney any longer, but he's, he's, he's got a law degree. Uh, he has been around the block for a long time. And uh, I have to give him credit uh, for bringing up this thing about uh, the Oakland Athletics and David Caval. I, I saw that this morning, and the top of my head almost came off. Especially when you look at it in the light of the money uh, and the extensions that Matt Olson and Matt Chapman just got. You know, and, and what Josh Donaldson has been able to make since he left Oakland. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Jacob DeGrom made his first appearance of the spring yesterday. It's his first appearance in a game since uh, July the 7th of last year. I mean, he was, uh, first 15 outings last year, he was ridiculous, right? 7-2, 1.08 ERA in 15 outings. And then an elbow injury, uh, 
shut him down for the rest of the year. He was still kind of trying to get back, and then in, by middle of September, the Mets just said, yeah, don't bother. Uh, he came out yesterday, two scoreless innings, uh, 99 miles an hour, and said he feels great. You know, the suppose he didn't need surgery, just resting, you know, some form of a, a, a tendon strain or a tendonitis or something, and and uh, he's okay. He said it was it felt good to go out there and have everything feel completely fine when the outing was over. Uh, look, um, Steve Cohen spending a buttload of money there, uh, and the pitching staff let him down last year. Syndergaard uh, Cinde- uh, yeah. not uh, being able to pitch. DeGrom not missing the second half of the year. Uh, but they have gone out, and, and adding Chris Bassett is huge. This team, and you know, obviously having Max Scherzer there now, I mean, it's just crazy, right? They are going to be insanely good, especially if Jacob DeGrom is healthy, and that is a good first sign for the New York Mets. If you're a Mets fan, you got to be doing cartwheels after he came out uh, and showed no adverse effects uh, from that. Uh, one other quick baseball note before we uh, go to a break. Uh, Major League Baseball did announce that the Ghost Runner is coming back for extra innings. I hate that. I'm pissed about it. But supposedly it is only for this year. Uh, again, they're doing it. They, they're using the uh, uh, the late season start as as, a, as an excuse. Supposedly it's, it goes away after this year. I had hoped even if they were going to keep it, they wouldn't use it until the 11th inning. But it is back. Uh, sadly. Uh, but the other thing that they did announce is that you have, and it's going to be called the Shohei Otani rule, which basically means that um, that your pitcher can stay in the game as your designated hitter after leaving the game. Uh, and he is the only guy in baseball you would do that with, right? Uh, the only one. I, I suppose, you know, because he is going to be the DH and pitcher at the same time. They do that in college, by the way. Uh, it's very common in college baseball where uh, your pitcher is listed as pitcher slash DH, and then when he leaves the game, he stays in as the DH. Uh, so this is really kind of just adapting the college rule. It makes sense, you know, because basically it would mean that Otani, uh, once he was done pitching, was out of the game, and part of the attraction of having a two-way player like Otani is to have a pitcher that can actually hit. Uh, it's not as important, obviously, with the, with the universal DH, but Sho- Sho- Shohei Otani is an elite hitter. Uh, as well, so uh, they put this in there uh, specifically for him, and it, and it makes perfect sense. 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back uh, to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Dave Massey, uh, who was watching on Facebook, pointed out, and uh, I was not sure about this, but uh, that the pitcher DH rule is the same thing in high school. Uh, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, and, and, you know, the thing is, is that when you look at the uh, high school and college levels, the athleticism is much different. A lot of times, well, in, most times in high school and college, your best athletes, period, are playing either shortstop or pitcher, sometimes both. Uh, you know, when I worked in Division One, when I was working at Central Connecticut and when I was working at Sacred Heart University, uh, we very often had, you know, position players that pitched and uh, they were not only usually our best pitchers they were usually also our best hitters uh, so uh, not surprising that that's the rule in high school as well thanks for uh, pointing that out Dave uh, surprising news yesterday at, at, 
Ash Barty, who is the number one ranked women's tennis player in the world, retired. She's 25 years old. Uh, basically said that uh, she's, she didn't say, she didn't use the word burnout, but she said that uh, I don't have the physical drive, the emotional want, and everything it takes to challenge yourself at the top level anymore. She said I'm spent. Now, she recently uh, uh, got engaged. Um, she said it's time to chase other dreams. You wonder if those other dreams are, Hey, I want to be, I want to be a wife. I want to be a mom. And, uh, I've done what I need to do. She's been number one in the world for the last 114 weeks in a row, 121 overall, but the last 114 in a row, uh, look, uh, she's won 15 titles in singles, 12 in doubles since turning pro in, in 2010. When she was younger, she walked away as well for a while. Uh, she just seems like uh, she must be very, very intense, and you get to a point where you get burned out. But, man, this was uh, uh, shocking news. And this was after she just won the Australian Open, you know, in her home country. Right? She she wins her, uh, her national championship and uh, has not played since then. And announced yesterday on her Instagram page that she is retiring. It just now, would it shock me if she came? Not, if she came back. No, uh, it, it's very unusual for somebody at this age to do it. Uh, uh, Justine Ennen walked, walked away. She was number one in the world when she walked away back in uh, 2008, and uh, I think we've seen her a couple of times. But she's uh, she stayed away. So uh, you know, every now and then. Uh, somebody just says, I've had enough, and, and they walk away. Look what Barry Sanders did in the NFL. Barry Sanders still had a lot of gas left in the tank when he was a running back for the Detroit Lions, and he retired. What Wasn't he like just like 29 years old or something when he retired? So uh, it's not unusual. I mean, well, it's not impossible, but it is unusual. Uh, 25 years old walking away. Uh, something else that's going to be unusual, a Masters coming up uh, on April 7th. And there will be no Phil Mickelson at the Masters for the first time since, I believe it was 1996. And he wasn't in that one. Uh, no, 1994, because he, had, he was recovering from a broken leg. Uh, look, he's, uh, he's 51 years old. And uh, obviously, you know, his chances of winning uh, another major are slim and none. Uh, slim probably has left town. Uh, but... This is really a product of Phil uh, has kind of gone off the rails in the last few months with his comments about the proposed uh, uh, breakoff tour that was being sponsored by Saudi Arabia and talking about how greedy the uh, the PGA Tour was and that even he he knew even though that the uh, the Saudi Arabian people were uh, nightmare, nightmares and that they've killed people and that kind of stuff but he thought it would still be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, he was like, yeah, well, it's still it's still worth getting into bed with him uh, if it means a chance to change the PGA Tour. Yeah, Not the smartest thing, Phil. And, you know, he he, you know, later backtracked and apologized. And then all of his sponsors jumped ship on him. All of his major sponsors have bailed on him, uh, including he was the host of the PGA Tour event in La Quinta. Uh, American Express is the host sponsor. They bailed. They got him out. They said they don't want him uh, as the tournament host anymore. Uh, Callaway ended their relationship. Uh, Workday, who he always wears their uh, their shirts, they're they're done. Uh, and KPMG, which is his his longest cor uh, corporate sponsor, also bailed on him. So everybody's jumping like rats off a sinking ship, 
And uh, I think Phil just realized that uh, he's going to be a big distraction and perhaps the best thing for him to do was just to stay home. And he has said, look, I need to reevaluate, uh, you know, where I'm at, what I'm doing, and uh, and go on from there. So uh, no Phil, Mac- Phil Mickelson at the Masters. Uh, other thing interesting, and Tiger Woods is not going to play at the Masters. We know that. But he has not uh, been officially listed as former champions not, uh, not playing yet. Uh, but he's already said he's a long way away from being competitive again. Uh, but then at the same time, his spokesman says, well, it's, it's too soon to make an announcement. Why is it too soon? The thing's two weeks away. Tiger is not playing. He has trouble. He said, you know, he said, it's great. You know, he's played in a couple of exhibitions and done some things, but he was able to be in a cart when he played in the father's son thing. He said, you know, I'm a long way away from being able to walk four rounds on a golf tournament. Uh, and I can't believe he's going to want to go out and he's look, he always plays well at the masters. That's probably his best tournament, but I can't believe he's going to want to go out there. Uh, at 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 75% and still in pain uh, and try to limp around there and, and put up a score. I'd be surprised if he does that. Uh, we had some football stuff to get to. Didn't get to that. We'll uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. The the uh, quarterback carousels uh, continue. I, I do want to leave the show this morning, uh, make a quick comment. Art Coase passed away um, a couple of days ago. Art Coase was the longtime basketball coach, athletic director, at Xavier High School in Middletown, Connecticut. I used to broadcast uh, Middletown uh, football and basketball games for a long time. Now, Art had uh, had retired uh, by then. He was 84 years old, passed away. Uh, his son, Mike, is the current basketball coach at Xavier. His other son, Tim, uh, is the basketball coach at Mercy High School, uh, also in Middletown. It's an all-girls Catholic school. Um Art was a great guy. All the games that he used to go to, still went to all the games. I used to love to sit and talk with him uh, prior to doing some Xavier games. And uh, the basketball uh, court at Xavier is named uh, after Art Coe's. Uh, but he passed away in his sleep uh, uh, at the age of 84. So I just wanted to recognize that. The Coe's family, a great family, and uh, uh, Art's going to be missed. And uh, he is uh, one of the fixtures at Xavier High School. So I just wanted to recognize uh, the passing uh, of Art Coe's this morning. And uh, in honor of that, here's, we're going to leave you this morning with some music from uh, Vince Gill, one of my favorite songs. It's called Go Rest High on That Mountain. And uh, Art, that's what uh, uh, I hope you're able to do. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.